the state of combat on CBS Sports. Back with a bang. It's the instant analysis show. UFC 241 in the books just minutes ago. Wow. Let me say that again. Wow. The Brian Campbell, the voice that you hear. Did I mention we are ready to bang? Let me bang with somebody. Let somebody stand up and bang with me. I got a guy next to me who is ready to do just that. Hey, UFC 241 just happened, and it was out of control. Stipe Miocic regains his UFC heavyweight championship. Nate Diaz was back and with me to chop it up. All-state left tackle, North Boca High. It's Brandon Wise, CBS Sports editor, writer. B-dubs, this card was so wild and wacky. We had to jump right on the ones and twos right away. Just give me a sound, a statement, a sentence. Give me something to express what you're feeling right now. I need the uh, Joe Rogan sounder of the O after he exclaims after every damn punch that was landed or potential submission that's locked in because that those three last three fights on that card were just hot fire in your face. Let's let's and, let's touch that idea right there that you just said. Because that's when it's special. Look, sometimes there's loaded cards. But sometimes it's the 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 two, three, four in a row that catch magic. Did you get the same feels that you and I got in Madison Square Garden for UFC 217? The same feels that you and I got in July. For UFC 239, when we had five-second flying knee, head kick Holly Holm, and we had bang, bang, bang on this night. I'm not going to call UFC 241 any kind of greatest anything, but in the terms of those last three fights delivering, holy crap, bro, I think it's on those levels. I said before this card that it had the potential to be on those levels that you're talking about with 240, with 239 and 217. I mean, yes, it did, but it wasn't the same kind of thrilling excitement, I don't think. Because like, with 239 at least, you got like a shocking five second knockout where somebody was out cold. This wasn't that kind of card. But man, was this the kind of like, Gotti Ward punching and kicking that we've been wanting to see for a while out of some of the best strikers in the UFC, and we got it in in spades. This was like the perfect casual fan card. Because casuals come to any big MMA or boxing pay-per-view card kind of wanting Rocky movie video game style fighting. And really, these three fights gave it to you, and that's why right now I'm overflowing with emotion. You know what? I'm rock hard right now with emotion. I got a phoner. Dude, I got a phoner right right now. Actually, we connected via Skype. All right. Um, thank you, Jake Hager. Um, yeah, look, we're going to break this down. 241. It's the state of combat, as I mentioned. It's just a reminder, folks. You like this show, okay? You like Hall of Famer Rashad Evans. You like Brandon Wise, pay it for it. Five-star review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to fine audio. Because three things in this life are certain. Water is wet, fire burn, and I'm going to beat Michael Bisping. But so is a fourth, all right? The fourth is that we'll be right back after a word from our friends and sponsors with more from UFC 241. Dig it. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. Now, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. And we're back. BC, B-dubs coming right back at you. Let's pull no more punches, no more business, right to the fights. This main event, Brandon Wise, 241, it was the rematch. DC, Stipe, two. So much potential history at stake from the idea we, we set off the top, right? If DC wins, he might be the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. If Stipe wins, good Lord, we might be going into some kind of trilogy that would rewrite the heavyweight history books. I don't know about that latter half, but Stipe did end up winning fourth round devastating knockout. But the road to get there was wild, including a second round, Brandon Wise, that had to be one of the better rounds of this calendar year of heavyweight history. All boxing, all the time, back and forth, big punches. I just want to say this before we break down what Stipe did well and what this means. This was a war of attrition the hellacious blows with four-ounce gloves that these two took. Consider this, Brandon, that this first fight only lasted in 2018, a little over four minutes when DC pulled the upset and knocked out Stipe. These guys are known for finishing fights with their hands. And they they might as well brought in a two-by-four in round two because that was some man stuff in there. It was just wild and crazy action for those three. I mean... Just thinking about how those guys didn't fall at any point, like they they were rocked, but they never fell down on their butts and were dropped because their conditioning levels and their training is just so out of this world that that they're able to keep standing and train chins and get better and and repair. Like Stipe wasn't lying the first time, man. He said he needed time to get his chin better, and it showed tonight, right? Like he showed like monster chin out there because some of those shots that DC landed, you would think, oh man, we're going to see a repeat of what happened the first time. But no, he stood in the pocket. I was screaming at my TV probably four times, head movement, <laughs> shout out to Edmund. But he ate him and kept moving. It was it was shocking. It was. And we know both of them uh, from Friday's way and came in really uh, incredibly lighter from certainly their last fight. And for Stipe, look, he'd been off for 13 months. He came in here ready to be quicker, but his team also said he'd never lost the strength in doing that. You saw DC at like 235-ish, which I think showed you if he had won, we could be looking at John Jones next. I mean, heck, even if he lost, we'll get into that more. But maybe the idea of cutting to 205 after this. Either way, whether the weight cut helped this argument I'm about to make, dude, I saw two guys that sometimes, Brandon, you just make that decision that no matter what I get hit with, I'm walking through it because I believe in myself. I believe in the history that I'm fighting for. 
and nothing is going to stop me. When you get two guys that are willing to do that, two things happen. One, unfortunately, you shorten people's careers because they walk through hell. Two, you see all-time great memorable fights. Now, this fight, I don't think it's going to end up going down in that all-time great memorable fight category, but it's certainly memorable, and it was memorable because of the action, the heart, the chins, the balls of these two men. Good Lord. One more time, Brandon. Talk about their balls. <laughs> I was trying to think about this after the fight was over, and obviously my memory is probably just shot as it is, but, I mean, heavyweight title fights don't really give us great memories like this, I don't think. Like, to me, the only ones I can think of that are memorable are, like, Kane against Brock, uh, Carwin and Brock, and, like, a JDS um, Kane 2. Like, to me, those are the three or four that I think about. This now, to me, enters that pantheon just because it was so wild in that second round. There was so much strategy involved. And then, of course, how Stipe finishes this with just an incredible change in the game plan in the fourth round where he just starts attacking the body and you don't see DC make any kind of adjustment to it. There's just so... For a guy... Just for a guy who, by the way, credits himself and, and prides himself on being the detail guy for ESPN who is able to analyze fights, how do you not change your game plan when a guy starts attacking the body like that? Yeah, Come I got on. a lot of things to say about DC here. I want to finish <laughs> off on Stipe here. Um, you nailed it. The, the, this fight was won in that fourth round. It had been a stalemate. They'd taken turns trading. DC won the first round. Second round, an all-out war. You could go either way. Third round, I thought Stipe did just enough with that jab to edge it. I saw some people on Twitter that like DC... I thought, though, the second half of that fight, you saw Stipe making a comeback as DC started to fade a bit. Because, to be honest, they kept up an insane pace through the first two rounds. But that adjustment to go into the body, specifically with the left hook, I mean, it set up that knockout so perfectly. DC couldn't even block it. He was tired, and he was just getting lit up. Left hook after left hook. And what was crazy, Brandon, is even though... Stipe's face looked like a car wreck afterwards and was red and blotchy and bloody and, you know, disfigured. All the punches they did to each other's head because they were biting down so hard and they were like, I don't care, I'm walking through it. It didn't seem to change much. But when he went to that body, it changed a lot. DC had no answer for it, no adjustment. He was a sitting duck and you saw DC double, I'm sorry, Stipe double and triple those hooks. Just keep going there, keep going there. And then it made DC a stationary target. And then one thing we know is that Stipe knows how to finish. He also knows how to bounce back from being hurt. And let's not forget that he was almost stopped. I think it was at that third round. Or maybe it was the second round. I'm, I'm foggy as well at this moment, but there was a point where he was almost stopped. And, you know, you look, what I mean is he was one or two more big shots away, yet he comes right back to life in that fourth when he has DC hurt. And that's seven or eight punches in a row as DC is slumped down. I mean, that's how you do it, dude. That's vicious. That's violent. Stipe just says, hold the damn phone on history. Cause I'm back. I'm the fourth guy to win the title two times. I already have the title defense record. What are you going to do now with history? That's what Stipe is basically saying. That's a manly way to get back there. I know we're both ready to criticize what DC did wrong, but tell me something about this no-charisma firefighter who tapped out to Alistair Overeem secretly at UFC 203. Yet, good God, if I'm in an alley 
I kind of want that guy with me out of anybody else. He's just such a fun character. Like, I know you, everybody says he can't talk or he just chooses not to talk. He doesn't like doing his media obligations. He just wants to be a big kid. Like, he's a 36 year old man, but if you watch Embedded and you see how he interacts with like his friends and his firefighter buddies, like, he's just a giant kid. And that kid can hit like a mofo. Like, <laughs> that's, I think that's the bottom line here. When you're mentioning when he almost got finished, that was actually in the first round. And DC, when DC ended up on top of him after that ridiculous pickup and body slam thing that he did, <laughs> he ended up on top and had Stipe against the cage and was just pounding on Stipe. And Herb Dean was telling him to keep fighting, keep fighting. And he just rolled back onto his back and then somehow got I'm to his feet. I'm thinking about the feet, bro. There was a moment, it's in two or th- round two or three, where Stipe got ro- kind of wobbled a little bit. And you're like, oh, my God, he's one away. And it just never happened. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Whatever. Yeah, but no, but to, to your point, I mean, in that fourth round, when I'm I'm watching the fight, I'm thinking in my head, DC looks gassed, right? Like, DC looked at, to the point, like you said before, he looked at a point where he was just trying to f- survive. And I'm sitting there going, if D- if Stipe just throws a head kick here, DC's not even going to see it coming. But he went the other way and just went with that sneaky left hook to the body that DC didn't know what to do with. So... To me, that just shows how smart Stipe is when it comes to these fights because DC was fighting the whole time like a Frankenstein, right? He had his arms out straight ahead the whole time doing that John Jones move where he's pushing his fingers and thumbs into Stipe's eye, which he actually did and didn't get disciplined for it, which I thought was interesting. But he's keeping his arms up and he's not defending the body. And for Stipe to see that opening after three rounds of getting his head beaten to a pulp, like you said... That just shows you how how great this dude is at what he does, and for him to be 36 and now to have, to have won the belt for a second time and a fourth win, so to speak, in championship fights, I, I don't know how you make an argument against him not being the best at this point. Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. I mean, like we all sort of wanted it to be DC because he'd never lost at heavyweight. He'd never been, and look, DC. Is, you know, Luke Thomas made some interesting points lately. Uh, I do morning combat with him on Showtime, but he's obviously all over every other show too. He had sort of, you know, reminded us that like DC's such a great advocate at making you buy into his own history and lore and myth. He's always on TV. He has such a way of telling his own story. He has such a way of like, I mean, you know, anybody that watched that E60 piece that Ariel Hawani did, he's a total babyface in that. I mean, he's the ultimate sort of like guy you want to cheer for, but. This changes that, and I don't know if Stipe is the greatest heavyweight. I still have that thing that people don't like to hear when I say Kane is the best heavyweight I've ever seen. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. well, no, dude, Kane's the best heavyweight champion I've ever seen. I'm sorry. He is. Some people think there's a USADA element to it. Yes, he's always had uh injury history, all that. I don't really know right now who's the greatest heavyweight champion. But that's in his – you're saying in his prime. You're not saying he I guess I'm beat, saying more pound for pound in his prime. But I guess if you're talking about decorated careers, I guess it has to be It has to be Stipe. I do love the, the fact that Randy Couture was a you know, four-time heavyweight champion or, or three-time whatever and a two-time light heavyweight champion. But, you know, those were in some ways different times as well. I don't know why we just refused to give Stipe the ultimate nod. But you know what? If there was ever a night he deserved it, it was this. Because how many fights has he been rocked and came back? I mean, he's lost big and came back and kind of re- rebuilt himself. Yeah, I guess he is the greatest heavyweight champion. I mean, 
consider what we were just lauding DC with heading into this fight. We'd already put him in that upper room of five greatest fighters. And Stipe just came out and knocked him out. So, and it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't any of that. Now let's talk about how Daniel Cormier lost though. <laughs> Did I predict him to win? Of course. Was my, if I had to have a dog in the fight, I guess do DC just lures you into wanting to cheer for him and his story. And, and be honest, wanting him to get to that third John Jones fight and have it really mean as much horse historically as it can mean. But I think DC ultimately lost this fight almost as much as Stipe won this fight. And this is not sour grapes. I didn't have money on DC. I'm not trying to spin a thing here. But I think he lost this fight. And I think he lost it by abandoning wrestling straight up. Straight up by abandoning the wrestling that he didn't need to show the first fight. We said coming into the second fight. Actually, he said it himself. This might go the distance or it'll be a late submission win. I'm going to need my wrestling. Stipe is going to be better. Brandon, I know it takes up a lot of energy to wrestle. I know lifting Stipe on your shoulders and carry him around and that fireman's carry Samoan drop set up and then slamming him takes a lot out of you. But I don't believe DC ever went for a takedown again after round one. Maybe a, maybe a quick one around two that he got stuffed on, but never again. The fact that he never did that after getting lit up at times in rounds two or three is baffling. But you know what I watched there? I think he got hurt in round two maybe to a level that we didn't realize, and I'm not sure DC ever mentally recovered from that. I think he may have been kind of knocked out on his feet because you remember after round two, he went to his corner and he asked them if he was winning, and he seemed very out of it. Now, look, he just been through hell for five minutes, but I think as much as I want to sit here and criticize and say, dude, you had an advantage on the ground that you didn't use the rest of the fight, and not only that, you willingly walked into oncoming traffic in rounds two and three with your hands down, and tried to beat Stipe Miocic, arguably the best heavyweight boxer in terms of MMA in history, really, if you want to talk about that. And you tried to beat him at his own game. So I'm going to say it was bad strategy on DC. If he was concussed and he was just trying to survive, that's one thing. But Brandon, I think there's a theme that happened in this fight. That kind of happened in the first fight, too. Only it worked out perfectly for him. He didn't respect Stipe's power. I want to say at all, and certainly not enough, to the point that I thought he fought a reckless fight in rounds two, three, and four, and pushed a pace that he almost didn't need to, and then it certainly cost him in four when he gassed out. I know the body attack really helped that, but if you're Daniel Cormier or his team or anyone close to him, I don't see how you don't go heartbroken away from this fight. Because I don't think Stipe won it as much as Daniel lost it. Tell me. Put me in my place. Do what you have to do. But I think that's what I saw. Yeah, I mean, it was such a weird strategy, right? Like, the first round was a clear Cormier round. Like, he just took the wind out of the sails from Stipe, it seemed like. Especially, like we've been talking about, when he picks him up over his shoulder and then seems to be thinking about what he wants to do with him before <laughs> he decides to slam him. It's like... It was like Matt Hughes, Frank Trigg. I mean, it was like, like... It seemed like he was up there forever. Right, and... You were right, actually. It, uh, looking at the UFC stats on their website, he was one of three on takedown attempts. Both fighters were actually one of three on takedown attempts. So it's like, did he get baited into a brawl, or was that just what he, all he thought he needed to do to knock Stipe out? Like, I mean, we make jokes about head movement and stuff with Edmund, but like, Stipe really wasn't moving his head that much. There was no lateral movement, so maybe he just thought, I'm going to be able to walk him down with my hands up, 
and finish this dude. I saw and somebody even though- on, real quick. I saw somebody on Twitter tweet at me. I don't know the name. I can't give the guy credit. But he's like, I, he said the same thing. I think DC got lured in by Stipe's lack of head movement, and he thought the brawl was something he was going to win. And then it seemed like now this is me talking. It seemed like he just ended up in deep waters by doing that strategy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like looking at the stats, and obviously, stat these stats don't tell the whole fight. But like, DC landed. 230 of 317 strikes thrown. Stipe landed 135 of 244. And DC landed 181 significant strikes. I mean, to me, those are numbers of somebody that's winning a fight throughout. And there's no difference. But I, I don't, I don't really have an explanation for what DC did here. He, at no point in the, like you said, in no point in those second and third rounds did he make an attempt to go for a leg or to shoot in at all on on Stipe and challenge the legs just to even see if there was something there to, to attack. He just, he thought he could stay in this brawl with his feet and, and take it away, but he just simply couldn't. I mean, I think at some point though, your, your coach needs to tell you, Hey, you're lighting him up, but he's not, he, he's not backing down. Like his face might be, might be hamburger meat right now, but he's still there. <laughs> you know, like he's, even after the fight, Stipe didn't seem like he was completely out of it. He just sounded like his normal growly self, you know? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't seem concussed or anything from all the repetitive head trauma. So, I mean, you're right. I, I actually scored the first round 10-8. I thought DC dominated it that much. So to see him go away from that was disconcerting to a certain degree. Um, it was a lack of respect, one thing. But I wonder how much, like... Dude, when you walk in there in that first fight and you're the underdog and you knock out a knockout artist with the relative ease that DC did, I know it wasn't ease because he did have to take some shots. And I don't want to be ignorant to the fact when I kind of criticize DC's game plan in this second fight, like DC's so small against a guy like Stipe that he's got to take shots to get inside. Right? Like, Stipe's jab was really working at certain times. It's almost as if DC's got to absorb that and pay the price to get in there. But once he's in there, man, hands down. Like, how are you not looking to clinch more? How are you just not looking to do anything but let's go mano a mano, let's go toe-to-toe and may the best man win? Because that feels like a fight he could lose. Now, they said something on the broadcast, Joe Rogan talking. They thought maybe Stipe was damaged entering that first Cormier fight because he took so much sneaky damage in outpointing Ngannou over five rounds. I don't know about that, dude. I don't know. I mean, he still had six months to recover. Exactly. That, that wasn't a quick turnaround. So I think he just got caught. His technique was bad coming off that clinch. He got caught and he got dropped. It was DC's night. Again, to close on this before we talk about what's next, I just think it still could have and almost should have been DC's night because of how much he straight up dominated him in round one. And had he kind of looked to play this safer, probably wins the decision. I mean, that's the thing. He probably wins a decision. But that's how heavyweight fights work, dude. It's wild. Anything can happen at any time. And DC do- and Stipe doesn't get to this point in this fight and in his career without being the real from the standpoint of Chin fighting back, losing my voice. So I was D- going to say, you heard him there? <laughs> so, DC, I am going to boo you. Boo me! I'm getting money in championship belts! What's up? All right. <clears throat> you heard DC talk about it afterwards, Brandon. I may just straight up tap out of this podcast pretty soon. <laughs> um, 
What do you think is going to happen next for him? With DC, man, I don't know. At this point, it's like, what is there really left for you to accomplish, right? It's like, oh, don't say that you, when there's John Jones, okay? Don't say that when there's John Jones, all right? I'll come out of retirement and talk right now to you, all right? <laughs> uh, man, I don't know. John Jones tweeted after the fight that Stipe is the greatest heavyweight of all time. That's all I'm going to say about that. Thought that was kind of interesting. He didn't really seem to have any interest in commenting on DC after he went after DC a lot this week and in, in like weird social media jabs for seemingly no reason. Um, well, to to nego- he was negotiating their future fight, the weight class, the money by the way that he was taking shots at DC. And for you to try to act like that tweet about Stipe isn't only typed to take a shot at DC, you're crazy. Yeah. You don't but, care about Stipe, bro. <laughs> so you think that that's all that's left, right? You think that's the only thing that makes any sense? Well, there's two then- things that make sense. DC's such a freaking competitor, Brandon, that when he swallows this pill of how he lost this fight, I mean, dude, he may straight up be like, I don't care, wife and coaches. I got to run that back and get Stipe back. Yes, let Stipe go fight Ngannou and do the rematch, but I need him again. Or I need John Jones. Or... I'm going to say I'm retiring, but because I'm still so damn good at 40, and Brandon, he is so damn good at 40, I think maybe he takes six, nine months off, and then they start figuring out his last one. There's too much that he can do. And there, okay, here's why I say he does, Brandon. <clears throat> one, because he's still so good, yes. But two, there's so much positive that he could do with his legacy by either beating Jones or Stipe in a trilogy that could really bump him up. Whereas a loss at this point to either of them keeps him exactly where he is. Is the risk worth the reward though? That's the biggest thing, right? Like to me at this point in your career, you're 40 years old. You're going to be 41 most likely by the time you fight next, expecting what you're saying. Your timeline would be March. So that would that would put him about six or seven months out, and I just don't. You you're right that he still got it, but unless the money is just insanely good, is it really worth it, man? Like I, from I, from what I think I know about DC Brandon, I think his competitive fire trumps the money. I think the money mattered against Derek Lewis coming back quickly when he was hurt. The money would have mattered against Lesnar. But he's made a few now. And he's getting good ESPN money. And he's got opportunities TV. He's amazing. People want to love him. He may end up with a sitcom for all we know. But uh I, I'll take I'll take the Steve A trilogy, man. Like, honestly. I think I could see him pulling a scenario where he says, well, Stipe sat out until he got the rematch he wanted. I'm going to do the same thing. Brandon, gun to your head here. (laughs) If I tell you they do that trilogy, because by the way, Stipe not only ain't young himself at 36, he's taken a lot of punches to the head. I'm not, I'm not going to Brendan Schaub you and tell you that his speech is slurring. Shout out to Brendan Schaub. But, um, I'm going to tell you he has taken a lot of damage. So gun to your head. I tell you a year from now, they run back that trilogy, and I tell you DC commits to wrestling. You tell me he can't win? He can. I just, I mean, I think 
Stipe's wrestling is underrated, and I think that we're overlooking that when talking about why why DC didn't go for more takedowns in this fight. It's like Stipe's a big dude, and he's tough to take down. Obviously, the first round tells you a different story when he gets picked up, but like, there's a reason he didn't. I feel like there's a reason he didn't go for those takedowns, man. I really do. I feel like yeah, he was Stipe's, concussed, Okay, Stipe's takedown defense is actually really good, and I think that that played a factor in DC not shooting anymore because, I mean, that first round, he goes for the fake, the faint on the takedown and then throws the overhand hook. And it was beautiful from, from DC. But don't you think that there's a reason for that, that it works so beautifully because Stipe knows to defend that. And he's knowing, he knows that he needs to block those takedown attempts. So to me, that that's just how I, I see that change if there is a change in in a trilogy fight i think a trilogy fight i think dc gets baited into another war like that i think that he's just that stubborn that he feels like he needs to knock out stipe so i don't know that if uh, i don't know that the third fight plays out any different but i would love to watch it all right let me talk to you about a third jones fight at 205 because without the heavyweight title they would never do the third fight at heavyweight so it'd have to be at 205 the knee-jerk reaction that you and i probably both have in our hearts is all right, DC, you're 40. Maybe you're 41 by the time you come back again. Dude, um, I'm sorry, bro. John Jones beat you twice, drugs or not. And now you're really old. And cutting back down to 205, you're never going to have an upper hand on him. Is there any part of DC, the competitor, Brandon, that says to himself, I lost to a roided John Jones at 214 via head kick. And you know what, pre-USADA, I probably lost to a Roy to John Jones in the first fight. And by the way, Cormier on this podcast has said he lost to a Roy to John Jones in the first fight. Is there part of DC that goes, I never fought him outside of USADA? I'm sorry, in USADA. And he thinks, you know what, I can beat that guy. Watch John Jones against OSP. Watch John Jones against Maheta. Maheta. I can beat that guy. I don't see it. Also, shout out to DC probably never fighting in Anaheim again because, good God, those demons have to be oh, screaming at it now. Oh, wow. Same same location as the John Jones head kick in the rematch that never happened, and now this. Um, I mentioned it seems like an afterthought that Stipe would go into a Francis Ngannou rematch. Is there any other fights we are not thinking about? And don't say Lesnar. I mean, Ariel Hawani actually said that he thinks they might do Stipe against John Jones at heavyweight. For as much as you're saying that you don't think that that would happen, I mean, I could get down with that as a so end-of-year pay-per-view. There's an argument to be made here, Brandon, of John Jones' recent sort of, um, hey, I never wanted to go to heavyweight anyway, public stance, even though that's completely false and we used to hear him talk about it all the time. That he actually has the same belief I do in his heart. That he beats all these heavyweights. But that he wants real money to do it, Brandon. He wants not pay-per-view main event money. He wants Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao type money. Where it's like guaranteed 20, 30 million per fight. Um, I could see that. I've heard people have that take. And I could see that. And if I'm UFC, um, pay that man his money. He's the freaking GOAT. So wouldn't this be – this is so John Jones. Wouldn't this be the ultimate sort of dick move? So DC becomes two-division champion recently. And really that was the only way he could 
kind of be an equal to John Jones without having beaten him, right? Like, and now John Jones is like, F it. I'm going to go beat the guy who just knocked you out, DC. If that happened, the fight would, would be a, a, mo- a monster pay-per-view hit. It would be a great fight to try to figure out. And John Jones would win, dude. John Jones would actually win handily. And then maybe we would get the DC trilogy at heavyweight, which is what people really want. Yeah, I think there's just phases that we need to go through to get to this final stage that you want of DC and John Jones at heavyweight. This is a detour. This is going to be a little quick detour that we need to take first. I am still, like, now thinking about it, kind of sad that Francis destroyed Kane and, like, sent him into pro wrestling because... Kane against Stipe right now would be really You're fun damn to right. Watch. And that would be the real fight for the real heavyweight champion of all time. But if we hadn't seen Kane just get knocked out, you're right. Yeah. So to me, it's either Francis or John Jones for Stipe next. And not this guy. I'm a white boy, and I'm Jack. Deal with it. Sure. <laughs> all right, Brandon, moving on here. We cannot be here all night. It's after 2 a.m. on the East Coast. And if it's 3 a.m., I must be lonely. I don't even know what that reference is. Wow, wow. That, that was, that probably came out before you were born because you're like 22. All right, wise. <laughs> uh, this co-main event, great theater. It was Nathan Diaz coming back. We were fired the hell, heck up. You know, they're, they're selling you all wolf tickets, people. No, no, Nick. This is your brother. This is not wolf tickets. This was legitimate. And Nate Diaz did it on his own terms, bro. And three year layoff meant nothing. And he went out there against a dangerous Anthony Pettis and did what I thought he could do. Just be a better fighter, outwork him, and get the decision. Dude, this was an impressive performance, not only for a guy that's been three years away, but the manner in which he did it, Brandon, using risk control, using his advantages when they went to the clinch often, and then not being afraid to go for the takedown, not being afraid to use that length on the ground. Yeah, we had some fun scrambles down the stretch as Pettis was avoiding getting tapped out, essentially, avoiding giving up his neck. But Nate Diaz, I think, is the better fighter historically, and I think he showed that in this fight. Yeah, I think you nailed this one coming in. I thought that Anthony would actually have a little bit more success on the feet with his striking game, but Nate just kind of made it go away in a sense. like With his, his chin, his... he made it go away. With his chin. <laughs> Well, and you also didn't, you probably haven't seen the picture now. Showtime tweeted out a picture of his foot, and his foot's about the size of a soccer ball, because when he kicked Nate on the head once, his foot just kind of exploded. (laughs) So, he was fighting on a bum ankle and a bum foot at the end there. But, I mean, all credit to Nate here, man. Like, he, he looked the part, he, he did not look like he had been out of the ring for, for three years coming into this fight, like we had talked about in the lead up, and, He's the real. There's nothing really much else to say, man. He he is the real. And even when when Pettis tried to like get into a ground game with him, he still got it. He still got the jujitsu, man. It's all there. So like, he he had said, Brandon, that you know we knew he was doing triathlons during that three years, but I don't know if you've heard all the a lot of the interviews he did specifically with Brett Okamoto that long one. He had said like. I never stopped training for fights. I was training my teammates. I was training at at a pre-fight intensity just in case I was going to come back. I know, like, that that matters, dude. 
when you're grinding all the damn time. I know it's not a true fight simulation, but did you hear that Chael Sonnen story that he told on on one of his bet DSI clips online the other day that uh, he went to, to spar at Nate's gym one time when he was helping Jake Shields prepare for GSP, and he was, like, blown away that, like, you're, when you get into a sparring situation with Nate, you're fighting him, like, instantly. It's a fight, bro. I believe it. That's how those, those Gracie dudes roll, all right? I mean, I feel like that's the way it is at a lot of gyms, though. Like, most of the guys that you're training with as you're preparing for a fight are giving you 100%. They're trying to stay in shape as well, just in case they get a call. So, I believe it. And to think that he wasn't training is just foolish. Like, there's no, like, he knew the money was going to get together. He knew he was going to get something done with UFC where he was going to get the fight that he wanted and the money that he wanted. So to think that he wasn't actually active training, that's just nonsense at this point. All right. And this is coming from a man in Brandon Wise, a tall drink of water who's currently training himself at Hard Knocks 365. Right? Henry Hooft? Henry Hooft and them boys. And you're training with, you're sparring with like actual amateur and pro MMA fighters, right? Yes. What, what, what kind of crazy are you drinking right now? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I just love it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I, I got clipped a couple of times today. I, my shin is still on fire. <laughs> it, I didn't know that your shin bone does the same thing that ears do. You know how like fighters have cauliflower ear from like wearing the wrestling stuff and and rolling on the mats. Yes. Your shin apparently do, your shins apparently do the same thing as as like a defense mechanism against shattering. <laughs> so yeah, my shins are in a lot of pain right now. Um, do you as a journalist? Get to observe things in there that, you know, I know that there's that rule. What happens in the gym stays in Vegas. I mean, the gym. Um, do you see things that like, I'm not saying you would go write a story about, but you're like, damn, I bet you people on this podcast would want to know about that. I don't know what you're trying to hint at here. I'm not talking about a famous UFC fighter's dong. I'm talking about, do you see like <laughs> a guy working on something? And you say to yourself, Oh wow, like a famous, like a Robbie Lawler, a, uh, a, uh, name the man, name the man. All right. I mean, the times that I'm at the gym, the pros are mostly either finishing their workouts or completing, like getting started on their first workout session of the week. So I don't ever really see the full package, <laughs> as you would say. Wow. All right. Uh, well, yeah. I've just basically really wanted to know if Matt Mitrione was working on any stick kicks ahead of next Saturday's <laughs> uh, Bellator card. Anyway, all right, let's keep rolling here. Um, Pettis fought bravely. I mean, he landed some big shots. You mentioned the blown-up ankle. He is who he is. He's going to alternate wins and losses until he retires. That's probably he is who he is. But Diaz had the bigger ceiling for huge fights. And, dude... When he called out Masvidal, that little boy fan in me, like, I could smell it, dude. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me. Like, I was, I was like, damn, I want to see that fight. Like, yeah. The only two gangsters left, bro. I need that fight. Will Dana. What do you say? You weren't the only one acting like the little kid. Jorge Masvidal was acting like a little kid in the crowd. Oh, yeah, he got so excited. He's like, I'm getting paid. Um, is Dana going to agree to this? 
Uh, how would he not, bro? How in the hell would he not? Because they're not giving Georgia a title shot. Yeah. And if you're not giving him a title shot, you can't, like, after Nate Diaz calls him out, you can't give him Leon Edwards. No. Like, that's not going to move any product compared to what Nate against Jorge would do. Like, you just, you have to book that fight. Put that fight at MSG as a co-main event of some sort. Just make it happen, man. It needs to happen. Did, was there something in the air of Nate's swagger and performance that tells you that he could still win a UFC title before he retires? Or like, is he going to fight against Jorge and then never fight again? Like, I mean, like, you never know what that dude, like, right? <laughs> I mean, you lit up a damn joint during workout day. Like, you never know what's going to happen with this guy. Did you feel like he had the same momentum going in? Not momentum, but I, I don't know. I think the swagger word is probably right. I feel like I didn't see the same desire, if that's the right term to put at it. Because he seemed very happy. Like, he just seemed happy to be back. He didn't seem like he was fired up to be fighting or anything. Like, he didn't do those crazy tactics that we're used to seeing out of a Diaz brother. He just seemed happy. And I don't know if I want to see a content Nate Diaz. Because that guy's not pushing to get a title shot. He's not pushing to win a title. He's just fighting because this is all he knows how to do. You know? So, I think you might be right that he might get one more cash out and then call it and go back and train and just coach his, his, his team. And sell CBD. Everybody's on steroids. The whole UFC. Everybody. You're on steroids. He was actually talking to you, Brandon. Thank you. <laughs> um, I really hope that this is the start. And even if you're telling me they're just all money celebrity fights, I hope this is the start of at least three more. That's asking a lot from Nate Diaz because you would need the UFC to pay him what he feels he deserves. And when you hear him say a lot of stuff, like half of you is going, yeah, he's right, man. He's not been taken care of. Then the other half of you is going, man, these Diaz guys are blown because they think they like created MMA. So like it's that real like I, I guess to a, to a degree I understand Dana White's sort of way he treats Nate. But at the same time, he's also missing the boat. So, man, I just hope we get. Masvidal, ultimately Connor, because you can't let them retire without doing that. I just think you don't need to rush it. And um, one attempt at a, at a title or one attempt at a like high-level number one contender, like him and Ferguson or something. That's not asking too much, right? Three fights over the next two years? No, that's not asking too much. Where do you think his better shot is at winning a title, 155 or 170? It's hard to say because... He fought against Pettis, who's a blown-up lightweight, and the size difference right away jumped out to me. And I think he used the size difference to his advantage the whole night. Same way, really, he used the size difference in the two fights against McGregor, right? By by walking him down, by using his chin, using his length. Um, so against a lightweight, you'd think that he would have that sort of extra advantage compared to the welterweights who could take him down and maybe wrestle him and, and kind of just grind him. I don't think he can win a title at either division right now, if I'm being honest with myself. Because to me, that means you're saying that he beats either Tony or Khabib at lightweight. And I'm sorry, I just don't see it with either one. You know, you might be right. Because here's the deal. As much as we love these guys and as much as he did beat Connor at a real key time, even though, you know, Connor wasn't in the right weight class and all that, um, 
they're so damn mercurial, those uh, Diaz brothers, where they just, like, always think they've done enough where they should have won even when they didn't. Whereas Pettis was kind of the perfect opponent in this case because he's so all or nothing and he and he he's kind of taken a step back from being technical and, and, and having great game plans. He's kind of just a highlight reel knockout guy now. So against the very true well-rounded elites, I just feel like he would survive and lose a decision against all of them. Yeah. All right. Like, Tim, who, who would you even give him the best chance against? Because, like, Kamaru, I think, just would destroy him just on size difference alone because Kamaru's yeah. going to come in really thick. Um, Colby, maybe? Maybe but Colby's outballing a, a Dustin Poirier and, and submitting him, maybe. Maybe. I mean, Conor yeah. McGregor. <laughs> the old yeah. guy that Conor McGregor jabbed, maybe. Yeah. All right. Hey, we can't be here all night, Wise. Um, let's talk about that middleweight showdown. It was Yoel Romero. It was Paulo Costa. We talked about what that thing could look like, what it could be. And, Brandon, it's so damn rare in this game, boxing, MMA, whatever, your favorite movie, where you, you know, the next Star Wars movie comes out and you're thinking – Oh my god, it could be this, this, and this. It ne- it's never actually that. When it's close enough, we're happy. This three-round fight was everything we could have wanted between these two. Like, absolutely everything. There was so much damn machismo going on out there. They both just straight up were like, you know what? We're just going to brawl. And may the best man win. They were both elevated in the end. I... I- like, I almost wish that was the main event and we could have done 30 minutes on that and just applauded that fight. I <laughs> loved it. It's a fight of the year contender. It's one of my favorite fights in recent memory. I love you, Yoel Romero. I love you. See you soon. Thank Boy. you. Boy, thank you, soldier. Um, And you know what? I don't think I've ever seen Yoel Romero lose in the UFC, and I don't think tonight changed that. I thought he kind of got a – I won't say a raw deal. Because it's either two to one for either guy. And I would get it if you scored Costa landing the bigger blows seemingly throughout. But I thought Romero outworked him at times. Two to one. I thought it, bro. Really? That kind of surprises me just because, I mean, obviously it's part of the scoring system now. But Costa's, like, advancement and pushing forward throughout the fight to me just seemed to be a difference where Yoel is play, fighting with his back against the cage, and Costa's lighting him up. And even though <laughs> Yoel is sticking his tongue out at at Paulo the whole time, trying to, like, bait him into throwing more heavy shots, like, it felt like, to me, Paulo did more damage throughout, had more significant strikes throughout, and just really controlled the fight. Like, for as much as, as Yoel looked great in that first round, he really lost gas in the second round. But he, he rallied, did. though, late in round two. I don't know if you remember that. He was getting beat up early in round two. He rallied in the second half. He did it with boxing, though, not with big-time heavy shots, more with jabs and footwork and all that. Yeah. Takedown. <laughs> Wait, oh, we forgot about the first round where Paulo knees uh, Yoel in the in the junk and takes the full and Yoel takes the full five minutes oh, yeah. to, to gather himself. We had a couple of those moments where they both straight up were like, you know what, we're just gonna rest on that eye poke <laughs> late in round three. We're just like, yeah, we're just gonna take about four or five minutes each and just just regroup and come out throwing bombs. 
But they needed it after how much they threw to start Dude, that pace fight. The was insane. That first round, insane. So, look, uh, Costa had a huge start to the second round. If you felt that Romero's slick comeback with jabs when Costa's, Costa, Costa kind of uh, gassed a little bit wasn't enough, I get that. Third round, I thought Romero edged him. He had a late, he, he was better late. You, you talk about third round Romero. He was better late. He was. I, I really didn't like that Costa, like, tried to play into his games, too. Like, I thought, dude, like, if anything, it's a 1-1 fight. You're not up 2-0. Like, you need to go for it. You can't be doing the same stuff he is trying to play these stupid little mind games. It was funny, though, when they did the, when they both did the Conor McGregor hands behind their back, stuck their faces in each other's faces. That was, that was pretty funny. Look, either way, it was a brilliant fight because both committed to it. They made it a damn ass firefight. They were landing bombs. There was the, the taunting back and forth. And look, close enough where it's not a robbery. It's not anything like that. I mean, most people, most people thought straight up Costa did enough to win. But he certainly was elevated in the ways that you needed him to. He passed a hellacious test, Brandon, to show you not a perfect fighter. Still kind of gassed at the end of this fight, even though the fight was hellacious. But has the chin, most importantly. That was the biggest question mark coming in because Romero is that type of explosive striker where, dude, he could just nail that combination in your toast. And you know what? He had a pretty good game plan, and he kept coming forward. Um, This guy's good-looking. He's got great abs. He's the real. I don't like. I'm not favoring him against Whitaker or Adesanya, but he's in any fight against any middleweight. I'm not sure that I like that he said he's waiting. He's not going to fight again unless he get until he gets a title opportunity. Because it's like, I I don't know that you're you're there yet, man. I I feel like I need to see another fight before you get that shot and get that opportunity. Just because. You still, like you said, he still showed a lot of flaws in this fight, and I, I mentioned it in our preview show that if this gets out of the second round, I have a lot of questions about Paulo Acosta here because we haven't seen him go that far, and we don't know what the hell his gas tank looks like because he throws so much damn volume and heavy shots that it's it tends to lead towards people getting gassed. And you're right. It did tonight. He was gassed in the third round. That's why he was playing those games with Yoel because he just had nothing left. Like those those arms just got exhausted from throwing so much volume. And I have questions about how he looks against either Whitaker or Adesanya. I feel like Adesanya could just dance around him and he wouldn't get hit just just on quickness and being more lean than Costa. Because Bobby Costa's, Knuckles would be a great brawl. It would. I mean. Shoot, I wouldn't even mind doing another fight like this. Like you said, you don't think you've seen Yoel Romero lose. Run that fight back. I thought he definitely beat Whitaker the second time. First time I was okay with Whitaker winning closely. It was, it's more of a, a statement to make, but, um, he's been in some close ones against the very elite. Um, do you think it's time at 42 for Romero? Like, look, if Adesanya ends up the champion, they mentioned tonight in the broadcast, it's like, good lord, the idea of Romero against Adesanya is like, Catch a packets of sex, just squirt it all over me. It's just amazing. But here's the deal, dude. He is 42. Instead of seeing him go back to the drawing board and fight the, the Jacare levels, those type of guys, you know, the cannoneers, I kind of just want him to go into celebrity big name mode and kind of like 
go over his head a little bit, take a take a light heavyweight fight against a name like a like a like a Weidman or a rematch with Rockhold, that type of level name of another equally kind of wash guy. You know what I mean? Are you down with this? The idea of just take kind of take big money fights if it's out there, or 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 sexy action fights, and not try to go back into the into the uh, prism again and take on these like two or three average guys. Who would you consider a name fight? Because to me, looking at the light heavyweight rankings right now, the only one that to me would be interesting would be like Glover Teixeira or Alexander Gustafson if you can bait him out of retirement. Outside of that, it's just kind of like there's not a ton of light heavyweight in terms of celebrity big name draws. That's fair. That's fair. All right, I don't have an answer for you. I don't have an answer. How about how about we do an Anderson Silva fight? Nah, he'd maul him on the ground. <laughs> so it's just like this is where he is now. Yeah, he's forty two. Right. He's still on the elite level physically, but I don't know if he's there complete as a complete package. Got a great package though. So, uh moving on here, um quickly Ian Highness, man. He, he talked a great game heading into here, but you got to give Derek Brunson credit, the the veteran middleweight. And hearing Dominic Cruz talk about this is the first time Brunson had like a committed head coach. It's sort of like, how do you get to age thirty six or five and be this successful and not really have a system? I don't get that. But he looked great. He was calm. He was efficient. He stretched Ian Heinish's gas tank. And even though Heinish, I'll give him credit, Jurassic back, Jailbod kept pushing that pace late. He got outclassed in this one. The the balding veteran got to him. Good win for Brunson. But shave your head, bro. Seriously, shave your head. You his, gotta... his, yeah, I was going to say, his hair was all over the place tonight. Um, when you mentioned, though, the, like, the head coach thing, it, it, he is somebody that I've seen at Hard Knocks before, and he's always kind of just working out by himself. Like, when it's not, like, team drills and stuff, he comes into the gym, does his stuff, and leaves. Like, he's not somebody who's working with a coach on what he needs to do like conditioning wise, he kind of knows what he's what he's going after. So I get it, but it's also like, like you said, how do you get to this point in your career without somebody actually telling you, "Hey, this is what you need to work on every day. These are the different skills that you need to develop." So hopefully, this relationship he now has with Henry Hooft and Hard Knocks works out, where he's able to develop, redevelop himself and re retool. But this was a great start, at least. Absolutely. Uh, you know who almost won this night was Kama Worthy, taking this fight on four days' notice against Devontae Smith at lightweight and knocking out his former training partner in the first round after getting cracked with a punch, coming back with a counter and just clocking him. Um, I didn't know much about Devontae Smith coming in. How big of an upset was this outside of the four-day notice? Do you know much about these guys? He was a plus 650 underdog at most sports books coming into this fight. But the only storyline that we could really pick up on was that they used to be training partners like two or three years ago that Kama like helped Devante develop his skills before he ended up on Contender Series and got a contract with Dana White. And they gave him this fight on, like you said, four days notice. He had he mentioned in the ring he fought three weeks ago and got a win there. He was on a five-fight winning streak coming in. But like that was just outright surprising. I don't know that I've been more shocked by a quick knockout like that than I have with that one. I'm with you. Uh, the big Bantamweight bout on that preliminary card, uh, it was fun to watch. Corey Sanhagen with a hell of another big step forward. Dude, he outclassed Rafael Asuncao, who still has it at 37, only loses to elites. Guess what? Corey Sanhagen is elite, unbeaten in UFC. 
Um, he's knocking on that title shot door, bro. He's got such a cool game with movement always in your face, but never in the same place twice. That's very TJ Maxx of me. Um, but, uh, the angles, the, the, the variety, the length for this division, dude. Hell yeah. You talk about him. Yes. Against the, the Petra Jans, Piotr Jans, your boy, your adult large son, Peter Jan. But how about one day against like the King of Cringe, Cejudo? Like this guy can this is gonna be fun to see a guy of this sort of unique talent. Yeah, I did not like seeing Uriah Faber sitting next to Cejudo and them hinting at that being the next fight for Cejudo. But yeah, this division is about to get insane over the next six to twelve months because there's just so many damn killers that are ready to fight. Uh that Jakar clo uh close and uh Christos Giagos fight was actually really fun, but I don't want to talk about it anymore. The only thing else I want to say is that sound I opened the show with. Casey Kenny winning a catchweight decision over Manny Bermudez at 140, uh, says, Hey, Dana. Hey, Sean, meaning, uh, what's the matchmaker's name? Sean Shelby. Sean Shelby. Um, here's my message. This is Casey Kenny. Let me bang with somebody. Let somebody stand up and bang with me. Yeah. Okay. No more dick pills, right? Uh, his dick works. His dick works. All right, Brandon. That's all I'm going to talk about for UFC 241. The instant analysis is in the books. Shout out to that fireman, Stipe Miocic, two-time heavyweight champion, probably the greatest heavyweight champion in history. Right now, we're in a decent spot at heavyweight. There's some fun fights to make. John Jones, get your ish together and get up there eventually. Um, check out the state of combat this week. A lot more combat coming at you. Boxing finally returns after multiple weeks off. Brandon, do you have anything to tell these listeners about you, about this show, about UFC 241? Anything? I need a nap. Yeah, it's 2.36 a.m. on the East Coast. That's it. Nobody else is banging. It's time to go. You're going to do what I want you to do, and that's just the bottom line. And the sooner you come to realize it, the more comfortable you'll be with the results. Thank you, Rashad. He'll be back as well. But until then, for Brandon Wise, it's your boy, BC. We hope you enjoyed the fights. DC, you may have played yourself. That's a story for another day. We out.